the guests had not been able to ascertain the answer to the riddle. Now frustrated, they confronted Samson's soon-to-be wife. By now, it was no longer merely a game. The guests had turned what seemed to be a harmless battle of wits into something that could end up violently. The Bible is full of stories that we all know and love. But how well do we know them? The answer might surprise you. The Bible you thought you knew is going to dive deep into the exquisite details of the biblical stories that make them fascinating and transforming. In this week's podcast, we turn to one of the Bible's most famous characters. Even Hollywood has been interested in this colorful figure. I am speaking of Samson, known popularly for his legendary strength. Last year, I did a podcast on the story about God's revealing to his mother and father that she was soon to be pregnant with a son. Though the mother was never named, she was much more intelligent about what she had experienced than her husband, who was named but displaying appalling ignorance. That episode was based on Judges chapter 13. This episode featuring that son, Samson, is found in Judges 14. Taking a look at this narrative may help us know whether Samson took after his father rather than his mother. The episode begins by letting us know that Samson went to a place called Timnah, at which time he saw a Philistine woman. That's in verse 1. Though he said not a word to the woman, Samson went right to his parents to tell them about this encounter. It must have been love at first sight, for the first thing he tells his mother and father is that he wanted them to arrange a marriage with the woman. That's in verse 2. Samson's parents did not respond positively, though. They wanted to know why Samson did not consider someone from his own extended family, or at least an Israelite from another tribe. This had little to do with ethnicity. The parents had religious concerns, which is why they referred to the Philistines as uncircumcised. From a Philistine perspective, that would have been an odd insult, if an insult at all. But it was significant from an Israelite point of view, for it spoke to the issue that circumcision had been for a long time a physical indication of the covenant God had made with Abraham and other Israelite ancestors. Samson's mother and father simply could not understand why Samson was willing to ignore such a central religious tradition. Samson paid zero attention to his parents' displeasure. He doubled down by basically demanding that they get her for the simple reason that, quote, she pleases me well, end of quote. That's in verse 3. The narrator supplies no details whatsoever about what made this Philistine woman so attractive to Samson. But Samson was apparently smitten. In the Bible, falling in love at first sight usually takes place at a well. Samson was not even at a well when he spotted the woman. Before the story continues, the narrator gives us a sort of aside. 
Samson's immediate attraction to this woman came from Israel's God. Because at that time the Philistines were dominating Israel, God was looking for a way to even the score. Even without his, or for that matter his parents being aware of this divine orchestration behind the scenes, Samson was about to become an instrument in God's hands. That's in verse 4. Though reluctant about Samson's request, his parents agreed to accompany him to Timnath, apparently to arrange the wedding. As they were going through a vineyard, however, a lion attacked Samson. That's in verse 5. When this happened, the Spirit of the Lord endued Samson with incredible strength so that he was able to kill the lion with his bare hands. Absurdly, even though his parents were traveling with him, Samson did not tell his parents about the feline attack. Somehow they had neither seen this startling event nor heard the raucous. One would think that killing a lion would be hard to miss, not to mention the racket this would make. But Samson did this amazing feat, all the while keeping his parents from realizing what had happened. That's in verse 6. Why did he want to keep this from them? Hard to say at this point. Once they got to their destination, Samson found the woman and talked to her for the first time. Nothing had changed. He still found her quite attractive. That's in verse 7. Evidently, after he had this initial conversation, he left. Almost immediately then, he returned to the place where the wedding was to take place. On the return trip, he stumbled on the lion he had previously killed. That's in verse 8. In the meantime, a swarm of bees had made the lion's carcass their home, thus making a honeycomb. Samson made a snack out of the honey as he scraped some from the lion's body. When he came to his parents, he offered them some of the honey, which they ate. However, he said nothing to them about where he had gotten the honey. That's in verse 9. Perhaps that was smart. Then his parents accompanied Samson back to where the woman lived. Samson put on a wedding feast, as was the custom. That's in verse 10. Some of the people who were invited to the festivities also brought 30 other companions to enjoy the party. That's in verse 11. As to who precisely these 30 other guests were is not specified. In any case, Samson decided it was time for a game, so he put a riddle to these 30 invitees. If they solved the riddle, they would each win a linen and festal garment. That's in verse 12. In other words, solving the riddle would reward them with a very nice gift. However, should the guests fail to figure out the riddle, they would be obligated to give 30 linen and festal garments to Samson, which would be a most lavish present for one man. That's in verse 13. Though the stakes were high, the guests were anxious to play the game. They wanted to know what Samson's riddle was. The riddle Samson laid out came in the form of a little ditty. Out of the eater came something to eat. 
out of the strong came something sweet. For three days, the guests puzzled over the answer, but were unable to come up with it. That's in verse 14. According to the Hebrew text, on the seventh day after being stumped, the guests went to Samson's bride. The Greek text says the fourth day. Regardless of which text we follow, the guests had not been able to ascertain the answer to the riddle. Now frustrated, they confronted Samson's soon-to-be wife. By now, it was no longer merely a game. The guests had turned what seemed to be a harmless battle of wits into something that could end up violently. Unless the woman would provide the guests with the answer to the riddle, they threatened to burn down her house with her and her father in it. The guests had not come to this party only to be extorted for an expensive gift, or so they said. That's in verse 15. This gala affair had turned ugly. The poor woman had no choice but to implore Samson to tell her the answer. She complained that his love for her was suspect because he had not told her what the answer to the riddle was. She said this in no uncertain terms by insisting that Samson's failure to inform her meant that he hated rather than loved her. But Samson was unmoved. He pointed out that he had not even told his parents the answer. He was not about to cave and tell her. That's in verse 16. Doubtless, this response led the woman know where she was listed on Samson's priority list. The refusal made her feel desperate. So she cried her eyes out for the next seven days, the whole time that the wedding party lasted. That's in verse 17. That must have been some scene. A bride, typically one of the happiest participants in any wedding celebration, is bawling the whole time. After seven days of this emotional outburst, Samson could not take it any longer, finally relented, and told the woman the answer to the riddle. As soon as she knew the answer, she dashed to the extortionate guests and told them. She figured she had saved her and her father's life from a horrible death. Of course, as soon as the guests knew the answer to the riddle, they could not wait to tell Samson. They answered with a little poem of their own. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? That's in verse 18. Instead of Samson being blown away with the guessing prowess of his guests, he indicated immediately that he knew that they had cheated by hounding his wife. He used lurid language to underscore that he realized what they had done. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. In this accusation, Samson's heifer is clearly his wife. Not only that, plowing with a man's heifer has at least a borderline sexual innuendo. 
the guests had transformed a wedding game into a contest that was on the verge of becoming out of control. What Samson said to them only exacerbated the situation. At this point, once more, as had had happened when he was attacked by the lion, the Lord's Spirit came upon Samson. This time, though, he did not kill a large feline predator, but went to Ashkelon, a well-known Philistine city, and slew thirty random men. Then, in order to pay off the bet he owed, because his riddle had been solved, he took spoil from the men and eventually gave thirty festal garments to the men who had found out the answer. That's in verse 19. In a blind fury, Samson went back home, back to his father's house. He left the wedding, the party, and the woman he had almost married, proverbially at the altar. Adding insult to injury, Samson's wife was married off immediately to the best man. That's in verse 20. What are we to make of this strange story? To be sure, this chapter needs finally to be evaluated in terms of the whole Samson narrative. But we can make some preliminary observations for now. Let's start with Samson. At the conclusion of the previous chapter, we were told that God had blessed him and that the Spirit of the Lord had begun to stir him. That's in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 13. One way or another, God seemed to be grooming Samson for a particular role he was to play. In chapter 14, though, Samson does not comport himself in a manner that one would think was commensurate with being divinely blessed. Instead, he comes off as selfish, impulsive, and even reckless. He has an eye for a Philistine woman to whom he has not even said hello. He had no respect whatsoever for his parents' concerns, or for that matter, Israelite religious tradition. He did manage to kill the lion when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Had he realized the source of his strength? The text is silent on this issue. All we can say for certain is that Samson's extraordinary ability came from God. Should we be unsettled that he did not tell his parents what he had done? Why did he refrain from telling this incredible story? This would have been a story for the ages, something that one tells one's grandchildren. But Samson does not utter a word. When he is about to marry, why does he risk alienating his guests with this riddle? A guessing game might have been fine, even harmless. But why create a situation where someone might have been humiliated? What were the chances that the riddle could be solved? The puzzle was not about an everyday circumstance. It was about a lion killed by a man using his bare hands and honey. Who would ever come up with an answer to a riddle like that? This was an unsolvable riddle. Though the men were hardly polite guests, it is easy to understand why they asked the bride 
for the answer. Had this been a friendly game, surely Samson would have not been so surly about taking his fiancée into his confidence. Instead, he put her in her place in deplorable patriarchal terms. The guests behaved badly. Samson was no improvement. He was not about to tolerate the guests coming out on top in this silly contest. So, he took out his revenge on other Philistines in another town. Then, using the proceeds, he paid off the debt he owed to the guests. Once more, though it was the Spirit of the Lord that enabled him to do this, it is impossible to know whether Samson was in any way aware of this. How about Samson's parents? Mostly, they are hapless. Though uncomfortable with their son's interest in a Philistine woman, they do not put up much of a fuss. After an initial expression of reluctance, they go ahead in an apparent attempt to please their insistent son. Should we make anything of the fact that they were not aware of what Samson did with the lion? Should they not have been suspicious with the content of the riddle? No obvious answers are forthcoming. In the whole story, at best they are well-meaning parents who seem powerless to prevent their son from making a mess of his life. At worst, they are enablers who are willing to indulge their son regardless of what he demands. What should we say about the woman Samson wanted to marry? She is virtually a pawn. No one asked her what she thought about marrying Samson. He never popped the question to her. She is terribly objectified in this episode. Samson sees her, wants her, asks his parents to get her for him. Evidently, there are enough Philistines willing to go along with this arrangement, and the next thing she knows, she is about to be married. Her standing with the man she is about to marry is made abundantly clear when Samson tells her dismissively that she was less important to him than his parents. This is a sad character indeed. A couple of observations about the Philistine characters is warranted. We have already spoken about the Philistine woman. About the other Philistines, all we can do is infer from the text. A number of Philistines, presumably members of the woman's family, had no problem with this marriage. Was this a function of the Philistine domination of the Israelites that was mentioned in verse 4 of chapter 14? Was a marriage like this one more way that Philistines could exercise control over Israelites, even though at this point it would be one Philistine family dealing with one Israelite family. Does the behavior of the Philistine guests derive from a sense of entitlement regarding Israelites? These guests are not about to be outclassed by Samson. In fact, they are willing to threaten violence against one of their own to prevent such a circumstance. The Philistines are hardly gracious hosts in this marriage of families. 
In the end, the violence they threatened against the poor woman and her father was transformed into Samson's over-the-top violent expression in Ashkelon. It turns out that, except for the woman and her father and possibly Samson's parents, none of the characters in this story are compelling. From one perspective or another, they are awful people. What then should we say about God? After all, Judges 14 is part of Holy Scripture. God is involved in the story twice. Once when the Spirit empowers Samson when he had to deal with the lion, and once when the Spirit empowers the Philistines in Ashkelon. The only other reference to God is when we learn that Samson's interest in the Philistine woman was from the Lord, meaning either that the Lord induced Samson's interest or that the Lord saw an opportunity to use Samson's attraction for divine interests. We do know that God has an ulterior motive when it comes to the Philistines in this story. The Philistines are dominating Israel, God's elect people. For that reason, the Philistines have placed themselves under God's judgment. That judgment has a start in Judges 14. So far, it is relatively restrained. Vast armies are not vanquished, whole cities are not destroyed, populations are not decimated. Nevertheless, judgment has begun. How far it will go, we will learn later in the Samson story. Perhaps what is most interesting as we talk about God is that the deity uses an instrument who is himself not a moral paragon or an exemplary religious person. Indeed, Samson may be one of the most flawed characters in Judges, or for that matter, in the Bible as a whole. Yet God has no compunction about using the man for broader divine purposes. God is not shy about being involved in the vagaries of human life. Good people were available. Samson's mother was one. But God chose to bless and stir Samson. Samson is not used by God to make the man a model. Samson is the opposite of a model. God used Samson because God needed someone in a particular circumstance in a particular time, and for particular reasons. Samson was that man. His flaws remained. His behavior was still undisciplined, and he did not become a saint. Or, he was a saint, complete with flaws, undisciplined behavior, and very unsaintly actions. God does that sometimes perhaps more often than we like to think. In any case, God began to stir up Samson, and we observed one result of that stirring in Judges 14. Next week, we will continue our treatment of the Samson story. At the end of this podcast, let me encourage you to ask me any questions you have by using my email, fspina, 106 at gmail.com. And also let me encourage you to go to my website, 
and let me know what your email address is so that I can contact you when we get ready for our mini courses. Thank you. I want to thank you so very much for listening to The Bible You Thought You Knew. I have a question for you. Do you have a question or topic that you'd like me to cover on the podcast? If so, all you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do two simple things. One, leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Two, in that review, ask anything you want related to the Bible. That's all you have to do. Then, listen in to hear your question answered on a future episode. Join us next time on The Bible You Thought You Knew when we discuss Jesus' personal Bible. God bless.